Hey, welcome to another episode of Write You a Song. And before we get started, a big thank you to a previous guest for setting up this month's guest. JT Harding, you rock, and I appreciate the assist. Now, Midland, Sam Hunt, Casey Musgraves, they're three of the biggest names in country music the past several years. One, Midland is being heralded as a savior of traditional country music. Another, Sam Hunt, is credited and criticized for pushing contemporary country music's boundaries. And Casey Musgraves, well, she's her own beautiful, talented, pretty uncategorizable self. Now, stylistically, the three don't have a lot in common, but there is one thing, and he is our guest on this month's Write You a Song. Josh Osborne comes from a part of Kentucky so steeped in country music history and tradition, the main highway near his home is called the Country Music Highway. But just being from the same region as legendary artists like Keith Whitley, Dwight Yoakam, and Patti Loveless doesn't, of course, guarantee you're going to be a country music success. And Josh's own country music highway to his status as one of Nashville's most sought-after songwriters was a long one. But for all of us, well worth the ride. She's a wild child that's been cigarette and burn out. We can leave the night on. Josh Osborne, we're so happy to have you as this month's guest on Write You a Song. Oh, I'm I'm very happy to, to be here. You come from a musical family. One of the things doing this show over the last excuse me, 11 months or so, is that's not always the case. There are some songwriters that there was like almost no music in their house growing up. And then others, they were steeped in it. And it sounds to me like you were kind of maybe in between or maybe your dad was a musician, but your mom wasn't. Do I have that right? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) my dad was a a musician in the sense that um, I think he was in a band to try to meet girls. Like he was sort of that <laughs> that level of musician. Um, Are there other levels loved, of being a musician? Wait, I don't. Well, no, that's true. I mean, we all <laughs> like to we we like to kid ourselves and say we're doing it for you know the art of it or the um, you know we're doing it to to change the world or whatever. But no, mostly we're just trying to to meet a pretty girl. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, my dad was in uh, in a band in the '60s. My dad was a a kind of child of the '60s, and he had been the drummer in a band. And um, loved music and uh, wasn't necessarily musically inclined himself, but he loved music. And um, uh, and my mom, of course, she she loved music, too, but she wasn't really uh, a singer or anything like that. But it's more that I kind of grew up in a house where, the, where they loved music. And I was exposed to all kinds of different types of music. Um, like, obviously, country music was the big thing growing up where I did in eastern Kentucky. Um, but my dad... My, my folks loved everything. So they, my dad was a huge Beatles fan. He kind of turned me on to the Beatles, which is what made me want to be a songwriter. Um, and, and so everything was in our house, like music wise, we had, uh, Michael Jackson records, we had the Beatles, but we also had Randy Travis and we had Alabama and we had Keith Whitley and records like that. And so it was sort of this, um, kind of growing up in a sort of melting pot of music. Um, and, and from all of that music, I sort of, got the inspiration to be a songwriter because I loved the craft of what the Beatles did. But my favorite music of all that was the the country records that they played at home. And at what age did you like recognize the, the, the quality of, you know, the songwriting that went into Beatles music or, you know, maybe something from the Eagles or something. How old were you when it just clicked? Uh, Honestly, uh, I was about 13 when I really, so what happened was I, I started taking guitar lessons. My folks knew that I loved music because I was like sort of humming tunes and things when I was two and three years old, like before I was, you know, a real talkative chap, I was, you know, going around like humming these songs and things. And, and, uh, my folks knew that I loved music and, and, um, and got me guitar lessons when I was eight years old. So I started kind of learning to play the guitar but I didn't really have a, a passion for writing the songs. I just loved music in general. And um, my dad one day was like, you know, you love music so much. You, you, you really enjoy playing and you enjoy singing. Um, you should write your own songs. You should write some songs and play them. And he said, you know, I love the Beatles. They're the greatest band of all time. And they wrote their songs. And so he bought me this, this tape set that sort of had all the hits of the Beatles. And it was like a blue tape and a red tape. And, the blue tape was all the early stuff. It was the, she loves you and please, please me and all my loving. And they're all great. And I enjoyed them and stuff. But then on the second side of that tape, 
there was a song called Norwegian Wood. And there was something in the way the words flowed together. There was something in the way that they fit in the meter of the song. Like my 13 year old brain couldn't understand it. Like I couldn't wrap my head around how this thing was hitting me in such a way. And I just kept rewinding that tape and listening to that song over and over and over. And I just knew I felt something. I didn't, you know, in a lot of the words to that song, I didn't really understand what they were talking about, but I just loved how it sounded. I wanted a girl, or should I say, she wanted me. And that was when all of a sudden I started having this appreciation for there's a craft to this. There's an art to this. There's, there is more to this than just, I'm going to sit down and write a song in 10 minutes. There's a deeper level to it. And I think even at 13, I was able to understand that. And that was, that was obviously when my love for writing songs started. Were you a good writer um, just in general? <laughs> um, definitely not a good songwriter at 13. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was a, uh, uh, I do think I was a pretty good writer. Um, I, I did really well in school. Like I made good grades when I was in school. And and my mom is actually uh, an English teacher or a retired English teacher now. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely grew up, uh, you know, learning the, uh, you know, you leave a note for your mom on the refrigerator and you come home and the punctuation's corrected and things <laughs> like that. So yeah. you kind of do get a little bit more of a sense of of, of being a writer. And, and my mom actually um, – when I would write papers for school would always hound me about use more description, just describe things better, mm. go more in depth. And I do think those things played into me even falling farther down the hole of trying to be a songwriter was that's so much of what we do in the country genre in particular is like really lyrically painting a picture for people and really trying to describe not what the day was like, but what, but what the sun on that day was like, or what the wind on that day felt like or whatever, you know, so that, that becomes such a big thing as a songwriter. And I think that I was fortunate that sort of subconsciously those things were being taught to me when I was young like that. What was the first country songwriting that, that grabbed you uh, in a similar way to the way the, the Beatles writing grabbed you? Uh, I, Randy Travis was the first writing when I, uh, the song I told you so, Mm -hmm. um, I just remember that hit me really hard. I told you so. Oh, I told you so. I told you someday you'd come crawling back and asking me to take you in. Even though that song had been out when I was younger, I don't think I appreciated it. And then once I got into sort of the craft of what the Beatles were doing um, when I was 13, I sort of backpedaled and 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 became very enamored with um, with like the Randy Travis music, uh, like I told you so. And then, like I said, I'm a huge Keith Whitley fan. Uh, growing up in Kentucky, I didn't know Keith Whitley had passed away when I was a kid because like, they played him on the radio all the time. And I love the Keith Whitley stuff like Miami, Miami and Homecoming 63. And then as I started studying music, I started learning that a guy named Dean Dillon was writing all these songs, you know, and then that that led me to loving George Strait, who was also recording all of these Dean Dillon songs. And and so I think sort of that late 80s, Randy Travis, Keith Whitley, George Strait, sort of that hybrid of songs was when I started going wow, I love these songs because they did that thing where the words had a flow to them. The words fit the melodies perfect, but the words made sense to me. Mm -hmm. And sort of that was the difference in that and sort of a Beatles song where they're, they're trying, they're, they're going for a higher meaning or a, a deeper meaning or something like that. The country music was really speaking to me because I knew what they were talking about and they were saying it in such a creative way that, that it just sort of, it sort of lit me up creatively and it, and it made me want to sort of focus on that. One of the things that has always struck me about country music is yeah, And, and one of the knocks I think that it gets from people who don't listen to it is all oh, the lyrics are simple. They're simplistic and they're really not. And it's really hard. I think 
to write something that's simple and clear and concise, but still can convey an emotion perfectly or, you know, just a feeling in exactly the right way. It's a hell of a lot harder than it than it looks. I, I mean, you're preaching to the choir. I completely agree. I mean, I think it's easy to to hear in other genres of music songs that you love that maybe don't have that aren't tied to a point the way that a country song is where we're trying to write to the hook of a song, the lyrical hook. Um, but I think there's a beauty in country music and in, in exactly what you said that like the country music, it's, it's trying to find different ways of saying to some, you know, saying something you've already heard, but they're trying to say it in, in a little more colorful or a little bit different way. And that is a challenge. And it's sort of like the, the whole, the hardest thing to write when you're a songwriter is a fun, up-tempo, happy song. That's the, weirdly the hardest thing to write are the simple songs. And I think um, when you look at, at at country music as a genre, you're exactly right. It tends to sometimes take a hit because people go, "Well, it's it's simple," or it's you know it, it's to the point or whatever. But I mean, I think there's a magic and there's a brilliance in that that gets underrated. And I think we're uh, fortunate in country music that we have tried to not lose sight of that even with the the way that the music has changed and like sonically you know there's a lot of different sounds on country radio now but lyrically a lot of these songs are still doing that same thing where we're telling you a story and the truth of the matter is i use the beatles as such an example but yeah they have a lot of odd songs and they have a lot of songs that are coming at things from a weird point of view but the majority of Beatles songs, and if you read any Paul McCartney interview, he will say this too, the majority of Beatles songs are just about love. And the majority of country songs are about love. It's about losing love. It's about finding love. Um, and there's only so many ways you can write that. And so I think if you can find a way to write it that can speak to the public and speak to the general public, that's when I think you can really get on something that tells somebody else's story. I was going to bring this up later in the interview, but I think now would be a, a good time to, because you, you talked about the variety right now in contemporary country music. And just listening to your background, it kind of makes total sense. You know, you have, um, on, on the one hand, Sam Hunt, with whom you've written a lot of songs. And he is probably, you know, pushing the boundaries as much as any artist on country radio. And he's got a lot of fans, and there are detractors, too. Um, sure. But then... You also write for Midland, who have been heralded as, you know, the uh, saviors of traditional country music. And I kind of had a laugh to myself when I was realizing this because it reminds me of uh, the songwriter Bobby Braddock, who wrote. And, it, it, and you may recall back in the 90s, Toby Keith came out with that song, I Want to Talk About Me. And yep. at that time, it was derided as, oh, it's a rap song. And it always cracked me up when I would tell people that, you know, that rap song from Toby Keith that you hate, that was written by the same guy that wrote probably what you think would be one of the most traditional country <laughs> songs of all time, He Stopped Loving Her Today. That kind exactly. of artistic flexibility is incredible. You have that. Well, uh, well, first of all, I appreciate you saying that because Bobby Braddock is, every songwriter in Nashville, Bobby Braddock, is our hero. I mean, he, because of, of like what you just said, he could write, he stopped loving her today, but then he could write, I want to talk about me. Um, the thing for me um, is I, again, it goes back for me to growing up in a house where no music was off limits. Everything was good. You know, my folks weren't listening to country music and saying everything else is terrible, or they weren't listening to pop music and saying country music is terrible. They were saying, we like good music, whatever that may be. And so one of the beauties for me and what I do for a living and being a songwriter is getting that opportunity to sit down in a room with Sam, who is one of my closest friends. He's somebody I've been writing songs with for almost 10 years now. Um, and we can sit down in a room and the thing that drives him and, 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 it, and it's a thing that frustrates me because of him being a friend. He is so driven by trying to bring something different to the table. And he's not intentionally going, I'm going to push the boundaries to see what I can get away with. He's trying to bring something to the table that's not there already. And so he does, a, he writes very methodically. He, uh, he, he makes his decisions very deliberately and very methodically because he's saying, 
I don't want to put a song out just to put a song out. I don't want to put an album out just to put an album out. Like I have to have a reason. I have to have a vision. I have to be bringing something to people that they don't have already. And so to get to sit in rooms with him and, and to use your word, sort of push the boundaries a little bit and go, this, you know, this excites me. This is different. My job then is to help Sam find the best version of that that we can find together. And so he is very driven by, I want to do something that excites me. I want to do something that, that, that's going to sort of get, get me interested in what's going on. And if I do that, I feel like it, it will do that for some other people too. And it has to this point in his career. You're cold and hot, you burn out like a match. Keep a slim knot in the strings you attach. You think it's easy, but that's a lie. The only reason that you're good at goodbye is Every boy you ever met was too easy to forget Well, I ain't going out like that And on the flip side of that coin, you do have Midland, um, who is traditional country to their bones. Like those guys love 70s and 80s country music. I mean, even farther back, they love the hag. They love, you know, George Jones. They love they just love country music. They want to be a country music band. And so for me, that becomes even a little bit more in my wheelhouse because that's the music I love and that's the music I grew up on. And so we can sit down in a room with Midland and it's, it's almost like being at songwriter fantasy camp for me because <laughs> I get to sit there with a guy that has a voice like Mark Weistrack, who his tone and his delivery remind me so much of Keith Whitley, just in the tone of his voice. He's not, you know, he sings differently than Keith did, but he has that tone and he has that, you know, it, it's almost like um, somebody described Keith Whitley once as having a voice sounded like it was soaked in whiskey, you know, mm-hmm. and I think Mark has a touch of that in the tone of his voice. And so to get to sit in a room with a guy like that, that has that kind of gift of that kind of voice and to be able to write a song like Drinking Problem with them, that, that can then fortunately go on to have success was like honestly it's like being in songwriter fantasy camp one more night one more down one more one more round first one in last one out given this town lost the talk about but they don't know but they don't know people say i got a drinking problem that ain't no reason to stop People saying that I've hit rock bottom Just cause I'm living on the rocks Yes, I'm broken hearted And the beauty of that is that's a Tuesday. I go in and ride with Midland. Well, Wednesday, Sam's on the schedule. So I go ride with Sam, and it's pulling me out of my box a little bit and making me stretch and making me sort of try to bring something to help Sam, uh, but know that maybe I'm not as good at helping drive that boat, but maybe I'm the guy that's going to help him keep it going. You know, And and so that's sort of the, the thing I love about doing what I do for a living is getting to sort of um, be on both sides of that aisle. Talk about the first time you you sat down with Sam Hunt and A, what was the song that you wrote? And B, when you started to get an idea of what his vision was, was there any reluctance um, on your part? Uh, Like, oh, we can't do this. We've never tried this before. Or were you just all in? Well, the first song we actually wrote, um, 
I remember it. The song <laughs> went on to not do anything. We, we wrote a song called Frame by Frame. and But even in that song, there was sort of this adventurous uh, kind of exciting moment where he wanted to try a thing. And you have to imagine, this is probably 2010, early 2010. He wanted to do this thing where, uh, it, just to talk in musical terms, he wanted to do this thing where the chorus of the song went into halftime. And like nobody was doing that in country music. And I just thought, okay, this guy's adventurous. Like he's he's trying some different stuff. And we wrote a couple of times and wrote a couple of songs, but kind of the song that turned the corner for us uh, was Sam and I and Shane McAnally, who I write together, uh, who I write with a lot. Um, the three of us got together and uh, we ended up writing the song Come Over that became a, a, a number one hit for Kenny Chesney. And so Sam brought kind of the musical idea for that song in. And and he said, I don't necessarily have a lyrical hook for this song, but I, I have this chorus that you know. And he started singing the melody of the of the chorus for "Come Over," and and it just sounded it, with him singing it. He has a very underrated voice, and him singing it in the room, it just felt like, wow, this is something. You know, there's there's something here. And we started digging in on that idea and and digging in on that song and 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 the song was pretty much the way the finished version is, except we didn't have the repeated lyrical hook where he says, come over, come over, come over, come over. It was just saying, take this bed getting any colder, come over. That's how we were ending it. We thought, okay, the melody is going to carry it. The idea is in there. We don't need to overthink this. It just needs to stay the hook. So when we finished writing the song, we were kind of putting the work tape down, just uh, me and Shane and Sam playing our guitars into our phones, just recording on our phones. And at the end of the song, on the outro of the song, as it's going out, Sam said, you know, getting any colder, come over, come over, come over, come over. And he started repeating it like that. And I stopped playing the guitar. And I looked at Shane, and, and, and we were like, what, what was that? And and Sam was like, oh, uh, I just thought it might be something I would try on the outro. If you think it's distracting or something, I won't do it. Like, we don't have to do it in there. And we and we both were like, no, 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 no. That's the hook. Like, that's you just did the hook. Like, and Shane, Shane said, we have to do that every time. Like, it, it adds a desperation. It adds uh, a passion. And that was a big thing that turned the corner for us. And, and it's kind of funny. At the time when we wrote that with Sam – um, he he hadn't been in town that long, and and I think because of his voice and Sam's you know Sam's a Georgia boy he's from he's from Georgia and he's very country he's got a very country voice, and so not kind of knowing what to do with him and he hadn't totally fleshed out his identity yet as an artist or as a writer, I think they were trying that he was working with a different producer at the time and they were almost making him more country mm-hmm. and it, it 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 just didn't sound. Right. There was just something not connecting. And so when we when we wrote Come Over, we went into the studio and did a demo of the song and uh, and Sam's, you know, singing the demo, of course. And so we we gave it to his producer and we were all excited about it. Me, Shane and Sam, we all thought we've got something like all of a sudden we've turned a corner. There's a sound here. And his producer said, oh, no, 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 I I like it. Uh, It doesn't fit. So, you know, it's not really something we can use for Sam, but it's a really cool song. Hmm. So we were <laughs> we were very, you know, sort of I mean, I was at this point, I had not had a hit or anything yet. I was still, you know, plugging away. I had a publishing deal, but I hadn't had a hit. I had a few songs on hold, things like that, but I hadn't had a hit yet. And I'd been in town 12 years at this point. Wow. So um, and so we're still plugging along. You know, you get just enough things. Like I said, you get a few holds, you get a few things like that. And. and but, you know, you're still waiting for that kind of light at the end of the tunnel. And at this moment, I really believed in Sam already. And I thought, this guy could be a star. I really love it. But I was very disappointed. I thought, man, you know, I love this song, and they're not going to cut it on him. Well, at the time, Sam was managed by um, the same guy that manages Kenny Chesney. And so the manager sent come over to Kenny, and luckily Kenny flipped out over the song. <laughs> and And he called us up and said, look, I don't want to take it away from Sam. If this is a song that's going to be, you know, a big part of his career, I don't want to take it. But if it's not, I would like to record it and put it out as a single. So, I mean, obviously at this moment, I'm going, oh my God, this would be amazing. And and um, 
And, you know, it was like, if Sam's okay with it, and, and I was like, oh, please, God, let Sam be okay with it. Because I really wanted that Kenny Chesney cut. Um, <laughs> but the cool the cool thing was that Sam, uh, like I said, because we, we were already kind of buddies at this point, and he called me and he said, what do you think we should do with this song? You know, and I told him, and I, I sincerely meant it from the heart. I said, if, if you need this song, then you keep it. Because I believe in you. I think this could be a hit. And, and I, if you feel like you need this song, I want you to keep it. But if you feel like it would help you more to have a song out on the radio or whatever, then let Kenny have it. But I'm, I'm behind you either way. I support you either way. And, and he thought about it and thought, you know, at this particular moment, I'm not ready to launch a career or anything. I'm still figuring it out. So he was willing to let Kenny have it. And, and like I said, it, it went on to become mine and Sam both. And it was our first number one. Each of us um, as a songwriter. Turn the TV off to turn it on again. Staring at the blades of the fan as it spins around. Counting every crack, the clock is wide awake. Talking to myself, anything to make a sound I told you I wouldn't call I told you I wouldn't care But baby, climbing the walls gets me nowhere I don't think that I can take this bed Getting any colder Come over, come over, come over, come over, come over. That was a big, big turning point for me. And obviously you can imagine that gave Sam a lot more kind of clout here in town. And he got a lot more benefit of the doubt at that moment where people were sort of like, oh, okay, well, this guy's, this guy's brought something different. He's doing something different. So I think they were willing to go along with the adventurousness. And things like that happen, um, one, because he's talented, but number two, because an artist of Kenny Chesney's stature Mm -hmm. is willing to take a song and take a chance on it being a little different and sort of attach his name to it and put it out. And so it is, it is very much one of those things that happens to a lot of songwriters where sort of a a perfect storm of events happens and it kind of, you know, helps you bust on through, you know, kind of that glass ceiling. It just amazes me that while you were telling that, you know, you just kind of quickly mentioned that, Oh yeah, you'd already been there for 12 years. It, I mean, the, the persistence and yeah. the will to hang on is, it can't be underscored enough. Anybody that is in your position, all of you have had to dig in and, and grit it out at some point. It's just, it's amazing waiting right. for that, that one moment like you had where all of a sudden things just pop. Right. Well, that's the, that's the biggest thing. If there are young songwriters listening to this show is basically I was too dumb to stop. And so, but you know, honestly, that's the thing. That's the best piece of advice anybody can give you is if you are passionate about it and if you're doing it for the right reasons, I mean, honestly, that's the other thing that I always try to impart to people that want to be a songwriter or want to be a professional songwriter is don't do it for the money because you're never going to be happy if you're just doing it for the money. Do it because you love the adventure of it. Do it because you love the creativeness of it. It's like love the process more than you love the end result because the process will reward you every day. Like every day that you show up and write a song, you can leave and have your head held high and be like, we did it. We walked into a room and there was nothing there and we walked out with a song. If you can do that, you will be a very happy person and a very happy artist as a writer. But if you're coming in every day going, today's the day I'm going to write the song that's going to make me a million dollars, you are very rarely going to be happy. And if you are not happy making music, don't do it because it's not meant to be a grind. It's not meant to be a job. It is called playing music. It's not called working music. <laughs> and you are supposed to enjoy it. And if you don't, do not do it. You have uh, two stories that I think also underscore the importance of just being like aware when you're in that songwriting room and being willing to change on the fly. And this is something that the other songwriters that, uh, that I've talked with have said as well. Um, there's, for example, the story behind Blake Shelton's My Eyes uh, that he did with uh-huh. Gwen Sebastian, where was it, didn't, wasn't that because you heard something wrong? And, you, and it, what, what's the story behind that? There was something where you didn't, you picked up on something yeah. not quite right. You're exactly right. Somebody, 
was playing us another song. Uh, like they were like, oh, I just heard this song. And, and they were playing it in the room. And I thought for sure the hook was going to be my eyes are the only thing I don't want to take off of you. And because they somewhere in the, in the lyric hinted at something about my eyes, like, and you're wearing that. So, I mean, you know, they were doing something in the song. And I thought like halfway through the first verse, okay, I see where this is going. Like, and I, and I'm honestly thinking, God, what a great hook. Like, man, they, they really, that's really great. And then they didn't do it. Like, <laughs> it was no, the hook was not in the song at all. It had nothing to do with that. And I thought, how, how, how did they, you know, it was right there. And so I, I just wrote down a little note in my phone and thought, man, what a great like idea for a country song is, you know, my eyes are the only thing I don't want to take off of you. And, um, and I always love telling this part of the story because, um, Shane McAnally, who is, uh, uh, my closest friend here in town and, and, and we've written songs together for a long time. And, um, my wife and I are, are fortunate enough to be the, the godparents of his kids. And so like, we're very, very close. And so I always love any kind of story that's going to embarrass Shane or make Shane look bad. Um, so, um, I pitched Shane the idea for my eyes. We were writing with an artist and, um, I said, I have this idea for a song that might be really good for this artist. And it's called My Eyes Are the Only Thing I Don't Want to Take Off of You. And Shane said, that's too complicated. Nobody's going to understand it. We're not going to write that. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay. And um, so the next day I uh, I had a write with um, Tommy Lee James and Andrew Dorff. Um, the, uh, I should say, just so people know, that the dearly departed Andrew Dorff. Um, but the three of us were getting together um, the next day. And I threw that idea out those guys. I said, Hey, I, I had this title. Um, but I, you know, it might be too complicated. I can't tell. I, I threw it out at Shane yesterday and he seemed to think it was too complicated to write a song around. Um, and I told him the hook and, and not joking. And these sounds like things that are hyperbole, but both of their eyes just lit up and they were like that, that you didn't write that. And I was like, no, no. And they were like, we have to write that. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Tommy, um, Tommy Lee James brought uh, Andrew uh, was was a brilliant lyricist and kind of knew how to write to that idea. And then Tommy is just one of the most gifted musical people in town and um, knew knew that to make that song work, it needed to sort of have that light, um, easy breezy feel that the, that the song has. Uh, because if you make that idea sound too heavy musically, it's almost creepy, you mm -hmm. know. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, and Tommy. Tommy had a great instinct of saying it needs to sound real light and playful. And um, so it's just one of those deals where if you do this a long time, like I have, you're, you're going to uh, get lucky in a lot of rooms like that, where you just, you, it, it's not meant to be in this one room. It's meant to be in, in another. And, and that was one of those for me. Those high heels with that sundress Turquoise heart hanging round your neck Red lips like wine, wanna drink them up And keep on drinking till you make me drunk Tied up here, wanna let it down And just let the rest fall to the ground You take beautiful to the max Can't help myself when you look like that Come a little closer, come a little closer, come a little closer, girl, the way you look tonight. My eyes are the only thing I don't want to take off of you. Come a little closer, come a little closer, come a little closer, love the way you look tonight. My eyes are the only thing I don't want to take off of you. But it's also always being open to all possibilities, keeping your radar up all the time. That's, oh, no, absolutely. That, that, that's honest to God, that's 90% of the job is paying attention. And it's paying attention and showing up. I mean, those are that's 90% of the job. I want to talk a little bit more about your versatility. You've already talk, talk, talked about Sam Hunt and Midland. So you've got, you know, the very contemporary, the very traditional, and then you've got Casey Musgraves, who's very eclectic. And <laughs> right. to be honest, I'm I'm still not sure people know exactly what to do with her. Everybody knows that she is freaking talented beyond talented. Um, and, and you've worked with her as well. And I'm just amazed how you are able to just go from one circle to another, to another, to another. You're, you're so amazingly adaptable. Talk about what it's like to work for her and what's her 
process like as opposed to, you know, other artists that you've worked with? Sure. Um, she is an incredible songwriter. I mean, I, I know that's, you know, breaking news, but she's um, she is really incredible. She has such a vision for what she wants out of a song, out of an album, out of a co-write. Um, and I, I met her um, uh, through Shane McAnally, actually. He had, had written a couple songs with her, but she was, I think she had maybe just signed her record deal when I first met her. Um, and it's funny, this kind of plays into your radar comment. Um, we uh, had just met, and I don't think we had written yet, but but we had sang on some demos together, and Casey obviously is an incredible singer, and she used to come and sing on some of our, our demos here in town. And that's kind of how I first met her, but we hadn't written yet. And so um, they had a song that Shane and Brandy Clark and, and Casey wrote called Mama's Broken Heart that Miranda Lambert recorded. And so that song was going to be a really big, you know, I think part of Casey's first record. And so when, when, when she let Miranda have that song, she kind of needed some more songs. And so they set up this trip for us to go to um, Texas to do a little writer's retreat, um, kind of get a few songs knocked out to to sort of get a few more things in the uh, in the running for an album. And so Casey's from a little town in Texas that's close to where Shane's from. And um, so we all flew into Dallas, and it was around 4th of July, and they were having a, a cookout at Shane's mom's house there in Texas. And this was before we went to the retreat. So we, we went by his mom's, and I noticed this house down from hers that had – bunch of cars parked outside and i went up to shane's mom i was just making small talk conversation with her and i said um she said yeah a lot of people in the neighborhood aren't around they're gone for the fourth and i said well you know i noticed down the street there was a house that had a bunch of cars parked outside is that a business or a house or what and she said oh i don't know what they're doing at that house they're selling mary Kay or mary jane or something out of there i don't know what they're doing <laughs> and so from that line of her saying that, we came up with the idea for Merry Go Round. If you ain't got two kids by 21, you're probably gonna die alone. At least that's what tradition told you. And it don't matter if you don't believe. Come Sunday morning, you best be there in the front row like you're supposed to. Same hurting every heart. Same trailer, different park. Mama's hooked on Mary Kay. Brother's hooked on Mary Jane. And Daddy's hooked on Mary two doors down. Mary, Mary, quack and Schwerry. We get bored, so we get married. And just like dust, we settle in this town. On this Actually, we won a Grammy for that song, and and that all came from again having the radar antenna up and noticing somebody talking and and saying something conversational and and yet quirky and and colorful at the same time, and um, and so the the brilliance of somebody like Casey though is Shane and I sort of started talking that idea over, and to us at first we thought it was a funny song, you know we thought there was like a it almost had like a uh, a goofiness to it mm -hmm. because of the play on words. And so we mentioned it to Casey. We said, Hey, we had this idea that we were thinking might be kind of goofy and fun. And, and we told her the idea and she said, no, I think it's a song about, about a small town, like people that feel trapped in a small town. And she said, you know, it's like a, everything keeps happening over and over. It's like a broken merry-go-round. And that's the brilliance of her is to take, take this idea and to hear the, the sort of kernel of truth in this little joke that was told. Where it stops, nobody knows. And it ain't slowing down. This merry go round. I can't say enough good things about her. And what she has done uh, with a career that, that you know, to, again, to use your words, like I don't think people always know exactly what to label her and where to put her, but to take this career 
and make an album as great as the album that's out right now. It's it's just such a testament to her that you can tell she's very driven by the art of it. She's very driven by trying to make another great record, trying to make something different. And I I am always going to applaud that above everything else. So she's she's somebody I feel very fortunate to have had the chance to work with. As a songwriter, because she does, to quote one of her songs, she follows her arrow. Um, do right. you, but but you are steeped in. You've got a, a ton of hits, ton of awards and nominations. Do you ever try to steer an artist like that towards a little more commercial, uh, towards more of a commercial sound, or do you just leave that alone? You just go with who the artist is and just adapt to that. Does that make, um, does that make sense? I don't know. Oh, totally. It's a great question, actually. Um, I'll be honest with you. I think if you do that you're not being of service to that artist. Um, I think what you do in those situations are what I find myself doing. Uh, and again, I'm not saying that I have the right answer. I'm just saying this is what I do. I can only speak for myself. But if you're in a room with a Sam Hunt or a Casey Musgraves or a Midland or an Old Dominion, whoever it may be, they are an artist. They have a vision. They have an idea. Now, if they're in a room with me, I have a natural inclination to write a little bit more commercially. So they already have me in that room. So my natural instinct is going to add some level of commerciality, you know, some level of hopefully sounding a little bit like the radio because that's where my natural instincts go. Mm -hmm. And so I think they know that. So it's never my job to sit in a room and tell an artist, Hey, you should do this or you need to do this. Or my job is to help them write the best version of their idea of their sound, you know, and when I do that, I've done my job correctly. And, and that's why when you sit in these rooms with these artists, I'm not supposed to be the one that has the answer. I'm literally there to help them figure it out. And so with somebody like Casey, I have never once said to her, you know, Hey, if we do it this way, we'd have a better chance of it, you know, maybe being a radio, more of a radio hit or something like that, because I feel like I'm doing a disservice to her. She has the vision. She has, she has where it wants to go. My job is to help her get it there. And my natural instincts are going to pull it more commercial. And so it's up to her how much she wants to let in of that. And the same thing with Old Dominion or Midland or any of these bands. It's like, or, or artists that I get the, the great opportunity to work with. Um, like I said, my natural instinct is going to do a certain thing. So it's sort of, I let them take as much of that in as they want to. But I never, I never want to try to steer an artist to be something they're not or, or to do something they don't believe in because the honest to God's truth is I write a song like Merry-Go-Round, and if I didn't play a songwriter around, I'd never play that song again. And if it's a hit, Casey plays it for the rest of her career. Mm-hmm. And so she's the one that has to stand out there every night and stand up, literally stand up for this song. And I want her to believe in it just as much as I do, if not more. So um, it's a great question you asked, but I think if you – if you can find a way to serve the artist, um, but yet try to get as much of your imprint on it as you can, that's how you have to do it. We've got running out of time. Um, I wish we had so much more, and I want you back definitely uh, at a later date. I apologize. I feel like I've been very long-winded. No, God, you're awesome. I'm just, I'm fascinated. Um, what do you have a song and hit or not that you're most proud of? <laughs> I um. Wow, that is a great question, and it's a hard answer. Uh, you know what, though? Great questions always have hard answers. Um, I feel like there's a few, honestly, um, and it, and this answer probably changes every week. So um, if you ask me next week, I might say something different. Sure. I will say a song that that speaks to my heart, and I can mostly gauge on when I go out and perform at a songwriter's round or I perform at the Bluebird Cafe or something like that. There are certain songs that I always want to play. Um, there are certain songs that I've that I've been a writer on that I always want, you know, to, to just play in front of people and want and want to say, "Hey, this is a song I'm very proud of." And one of those for me is "Get Along," the Kenny Chesney song. Um, I was so happy that, you know, we live in a time right now where uh, there's a, just a lot of unrest in the world. There's just a lot of unhappy people. There's a lot of anger that's you know, misplaced. And there's a lot of 
you know, and, and I, I don't subscribe. To, I'm a very optimistic person. And I think like America is still America. It's still the best. It's just, you know, we, 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 you know, we go through times, we go through ups and downs where we, people are upset about more things than, than, than they are at other times. And a song like get along was literally me and Ross and Shane. Oh, sorry, Ross Copperman mm-hmm. and Shane McAnally. Um, the three of us were together writing and, and, and sometimes the real world bleeds into your songs. And it was just us talking about how it doesn't have to be this difficult. Like we don't all have to disagree with each other, like loudly disagree with each other. Like there, there is a way we all coexist and we're all happy. And, and I know that's, that's naive, but I, but you know, in a song, in a room, you can think that. And if you're with like-minded people, you can think that. And so we found a way to write that chorus to where it felt like, do all of these things. Like we're all on a journey. We're all going through this life. So, so let's, can't we all just get along? And, and that song I'm so proud of because the verses are abstract to the chorus. Because if, if you write those verses, if you write the whole song to the idea of can't we all get along, then it gets preachy. And that was never our intention. We weren't trying to preach to people. We were just trying to say as writers, we're all in this together. We might as well get along while we're doing it. Had a man wearing a t-shirt said Virginia's for lovers Had a Bible in his left hand and a bottle in the other He said all you're really given is the sunshine in your name We both started laughing when the sky started to rain Get along down the road We got a long, long way to go Scared to live, scared to die And and in a similar vein, um, I, I have a song that was a hit with Keith Urban called John Cougar, John Deere, John 316. Mm-hmm. And I'm very proud of that song, too, because it. I honestly look back on that one and I still don't know how we wrote it because we didn't have that title. We didn't have that idea. Um, we had a piece of music that felt nostalgic and wistful. And we wrote on it for three hours and the hook fell out. And there are times when... Somebody once said, and I don't remember who it was, but it said, God writes the song and the writer holds the pen. And I think there's moments like that was one of those moments for me, like that I I still don't know how we wrote that song. Um, But I'm so proud of it because it makes me feel something. And at the end of the day, if I can write something that makes me feel something, hopefully it makes somebody else feel something. And then that's, that's again, that's loving the process and and leaving the room with your head held high. Forty-five spinning on an old controller. I'm a two-strike swinger. I'm a Pepsi Cola. I'm a blue jean quarterback saying I love you to the prom queen in a Chevy. I'm John Wayne, Superman, California. I'm a Chris Christopherson, Sunday morning. I'm a mom and dad singing along to Don McLean at the levee. And I'm a child of a backseat freedom, baptized by rock and roll. about that song where did that did, sure. it, did it start with that with that bass line i mean that's like the only country <laughs> song in history that has like a lead bass that's all keith he keith is a musician's musician and if you're listening to this and you're a keith urban fan trust me he is everything you want him to be he is the sweetest guy he is insanely talented and goes out of his way to make you feel comfortable if you're around him and, and at the end of the day, he is a badass musician. Our demo of that song um, was a lot more, um, and when I say wistful, I almost mean sad sounding. Our demo was a little more almost sad sounding and nostalgic. And, and he heard through that and thought, man, there's a way to do something really cool musically with this. And yeah, I'm with you. That bass line he plays on that, it's, it's amazing. He is one of the 
real bright lights from a musician standpoint, singer, everything that we have in, in Nashville. We're lucky to have him here. Josh Osborne, you have a cool job. <laughs> <laughs> I, hey, I agree with you. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking time. Fascinating. And please uh, come back on with us at some point. I would love to. And hey, thank you. I know you hear this a lot, but thank you so much for playing my songs and, and giving these, these different songs and artists a chance. And thanks for doing what you do. I mean, it spreads country music all over the country. So that's that's what we need more of. And that will do it for this month's edition of Write You a Song. Write You a Song is a production of New Country 105.1 KNCI in Sacramento and our parent company, Bonneville Communications. If you like this podcast, please take a moment and give it a rating and share it with friends. That's the best way we know to get the word out about this podcast so we can continue highlighting the people who bring us the songs that become a part of our lives. And I am super excited about next month's guest on Write You a Song. She's a fantastic singer, and she's also a great songwriter. There's no crime of fashion worth a crime of fashion. The only thing saving your life is that I don't look good in orange, and I hate stripes. And let the stone say, here lies a girl who's only crutch. It's loving one man just a little too much. If you go before I do, I'm going to tell the grave digger that he better dig too. Personally, a huge fan. Brandy Clark, our guest next month on Write You a Song. Thank you for listening. You don't go to church, you'll go to hell. You're the first one on the front row. You're a self-righteous son of a can't win through losing. You'll just disappoint them.